to the show. Thank you for being on. How are you doing today? I am well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, yes. So for those who do not know, Brittany and I went to undergrad together at USC Upstate and we are friends on Facebook. I know a couple months back you had posted being positive for COVID, but I think it was like your birthday as well when you got your results. Girl, let me tell <laughs> yes, it was my birthday. Um, I turned 29 on the 29th of March and um, I got my results back, I want to say on the 30th wow. of March. So that, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was traumatic for the, to say the least. Okay. So before COVID even came prevalent in today's society, like what was your life like? Were you working? Were you traveling? Like, what do you do for a living? So I work for a financial institute, um, a, one of the largest financial institute. We're in the top five. And so my job is essential because without what I do, people are, you know, they can't use their bank accounts. They can't um, pay their bills, you know, so they're, a large part of what I do is <laughs> very essential. And so while everyone else for the safety, for their safety and theirs of the, the family, they were able to work from home. I had to be in office. I had to continue to work. And so that was what put me at risk. But I'll say this, I thought that I was being very cautious. You know, I still thought that, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm going to go in there, but I don't, I'm not touching Philly. I'm not always in anybody's face. So I'm fine. I'll be okay. And so <laughs> that turned my life upside down, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, so when COVID first hit, I know for myself, like, I was in Atlanta at a conference, and you know how, like, we all have that uh, <laughs> thought, like, okay, it's happening, but it's not happening here. Was that kind of, right. like, what you were um, thinking about? Well, to be honest with you, um, I was just terrified. You know, I, I didn't think, I wasn't, I didn't want to be ignorant to think that this could never happen to me. This is something that's happening in New York somewhere where all the rest of the bad things happen, you know, or, mm -hmm. or so, you know, we're, we're in the South. Stuff like that doesn't happen in South Carolina. I didn't think that at all. I thought that this is dangerous um, and I don't know what this is, but I am very cautious, you know, and I don't want this to happen to me. And so typically, you know, when things like this happen, it, it doesn't, you know, happen to me. I, I'm not one that goes through things like that, you know, with illness. I've always been a very healthy person. So, you know, I don't eat meat. So I was like, oh, right. you know, my immune system is off the chain, girl. This is not going to happen to me. Um, but I'm still going to take precaution because I know that it's out there, you know, but I just didn't expect for me to be one of the first people to have to endure something like that. So I will say that, you know, I was cautious, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's crazy yes because that's like my 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 thing was like okay it usually it happen, happens in big cities or big states and like in the south you know everything is kind of slow like i was taking my precaution as well but it was just i'm gonna do what i gotta do but i'm gonna be right. safe so when did you realize that you know what something isn't right something is going on that shouldn't be yeah so you know like i said i'm in office um i didn't have I wasn't working virtually. I was actually on site. And so um, a young lady <laughs> came to work. This is the first time I think I've said publicly how I contracted it. Um, but, you know, a young lady came to work and she was in training and she was one of my direct reports. And so I was trying to teach her how to do something. And it caused me to get in her personal space. Mm. And she wasn't feeling well. She said that, you know, she was coughing and 
just wasn't feeling all that well. And now what was frustrating to me from the very beginning, I will say, even before I felt sick, um, was the fact that I worked for a financial institute that provided us options. If we felt sick, we didn't have to come to work and it didn't count against you. You know, you were paid for that time that you were off. And so it didn't come from your PTO bucket. They paid you. So it wasn't like, if I don't come to work, I'm going to be fired or I'm going to get in trouble. There were provisions that were set in place. And, and you know, I remember when I was in college, a lady told me, um, I went to work sick. And she said, do you think that your job is so important that you had to come in here and jeopardize the health of everyone around? Do you think this company cannot run without you? Are you that selfish? And that played back in my mind. So you know, she came to work and she wasn't feeling well. And so we told her, you know, you need to go home. As her boss, I told her, you, you need to go home and put yourself first and put your health first, especially with everything that's going on. And when you feel better, you can come back in. And so I want to say about two days later, um, I was at work and I was just so hot. You know, I was hot. I didn't have any energy. I was sweating. And I don't like to be warm. So I'm like, okay, something is not right. And my boss, like I said, we were super precautious. And because these were not normal times, these are unprecedented times, mm -hmm. I said, you know, boss, I, I'm not feeling well. And because of everything that's going on, I think it's best that I just step out of work until I can get a test and the test comes back. And so he says, oh, my God, if you have it, I know I have it. We work closely together. And from that day, like the first day I experienced symptoms, I did not go back to work after that. And so I went, got tested. And I want to say three to five days after that, which was the 30th, uh, my test results came back positive. But by that time, I was struggling to breathe. Like, I, I mean, I was having it bad. I would take two steps and I was completely exhausted and exaggerated. So I, I mean, I can really say that it, it hit me quick, but as soon as I had those symptoms, I, I isolated myself. And that, that's what it was like for me. Oh, wow. So when you say that you isolated yourself, now do you live by yourself or? I do, thankfully. Um, I just moved back. I was in Columbia for, I want to say, six five or six years um and i i left my property down there it's now my rental property and i moved back here i got a one-bedroom apartment and i live by myself and you know i came home and i was by myself for over a month and that's the part that if i could say anything about this COVID thing that people are not considering it's the the whole mental aspect of this mm -hmm. not having any human contact not being able to go around the people that i love again you know, I'm a single woman. I don't have any children. So, you know, I didn't have that, you know, that familiarity when it comes to having someone in the home or I didn't have that. And so when I tell you that the COVID experience was just as hard mentally as it was physically, it was just as hard emotionally as it was physically. Um, I can't express that enough. I mean, it really was very difficult to, to go through all of that alone. And so that was, that was, that was a lie. Backtrack a little. Once you found out, what were the doctors saying? It's like, well, what do you do when you home? Are they saying take this or what are they saying? Yes, that's a good question. Before I consulted with any doctor, I went to the CDC website and seeing what everyone was saying. And, you know, it, you know, you turn on stuff like the news, it, it drives you nuts. So mm -hmm. I was looking at the CDC website and I tried to do a virtual visit um, for MUSC first. Because I wanted, you know, the best doctors yeah. to tell me what was wrong with me. I was terrified. So I was like, you know, let me try to do a virtual visit. I put in for a virtual visit for MUSC, and I didn't hear anything back. This was, this was March. I didn't hear anything back until the end of April, beginning of May. So that didn't work. 
Um, I didn't hear anything back from MUSC. So I, I said, I have to find a physician. They were saying that you can't go to the hospital. If you think that you're sick, consult with your primary. Well, my primary is in Columbia. So I said, I have to find somewhere here. So my boss, you know, he gave me a, a number for Thrive Medical Center, which is off of Roper Mountain. And yeah. they were able to get me in the very next day. And so that, that was my thing. So I went in there and I'm, I'm struggling to breathe. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. I'm struggling to breathe. And they're like, okay, well, we'll test you. Um, they tested me and they didn't have anything for me. Breathe. Let me just say that nobody knew what to tell me. And when I went in there, she tested me. I could tell that the nurse's aide or the assistant, whoever, whomever she was, was so shaking herself mm. that it was in her body language that's how new it was in in march that's when things first started to get bad you know that's before they shut you know shut everything down so it was so new to everyone that even those in the medical profession were nervous around me they were like you know you could kind of tell she was keeping her distance talking to me from across the room mind you she's almost in a hazmat suit i mean she's covered from head to toe but she was still extremely cautious and extremely nervous and that made me more apprehensive than I was when I got there. So all the questions that I had, there were no answers to those questions. Um, if anything, they were asking me questions. And, and the nurse practitioner told me, she said, you know, we don't know anything about this. We, we don't know anything about this. But what I can tell you is that there's no oxygen getting to your lower lungs. Um, I could hear that you're struggling to breathe and there's rattling in your chest. And she said, so we're just going to send this off. There's no medicine that I can tell you to take. Um, the only thing I could tell you to do is just get you some rest and have plenty of fluids. That's it. <laughs> that was the only thing that I was told. Um, I could take Motrin or something to try to break the fever, but that was it. So what did you end up doing? I know that you don't eat meat. What were you doing during that time? During that time, my mom was my mom was my everything. She told me about black seed oil. And I'm like, mind you, I am I'm, I don't eat meat. Um, but I'm not all that holistic. I just, you know, I just can't fathom. I, I just didn't like eating meat. It wasn't anything that was like super spiritual or anything. I was like, I, I'm time out for that. I wanted to break generational curses. Yeah. And so what, when she was telling me about this black seed oil, I'm like, ma, you know, like, come on. What is this? What is this? You ain't got nothing else for me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I can honestly say, um, you know, with with it being a respiratory virus, what the black seed oil did was break up the mucus and thin it out. So that way it made it easier for me to breathe. And so with that, I took black seed oil multiple times a day. Um, I drank hot steaming water with lemon juice and honey. And that also helped to thin out that mucus, helped to make my breathing a little bit easier. Um, and I would also try as much as possible to sit up because when I would lay on my back, that was, that was just, that wasn't easy at all. So, you know, I was really nervous. I will say that, you know, going through the night, trying to breathe through the night, not knowing nobody's there. Am I going to die in my sleep? What's, go you know, what's going on? And I really got the worst of it. So that, that was what it looked like for me. I ate my fruits and vegetables um, as much as I could, but we're talking COVID knocking 15 or 20 pounds off of me. Mm. There were some days that I couldn't even remember because I was sleeping. Like I was sleeping. Yeah. My mom was so nervous. You know, I was, I wasn't answering the phone because I just felt awful. And she was banging on my window. Like, at least let me know that you're okay. Let me, you know, let me see your face, you know? And so that, that's what it looked like for me. I ate as much as I could, but that was very little, very little. I drank a lot though. I drank a lot and I drank a lot of hot stuff because cold stuff would just make it worse. And now, you know, 
I would say my mom has beat COVID now and it was well after mine. I recovered, was able to return back to work on April 21st. My mom um, was sick or she, um, I think that was maybe a couple of weeks ago. So let's just say early part of July, middle of July, my mom was sick with COVID, didn't even know it. She was asymptomatic, went on a girl's trip, gave it to two of her friends. Um, she helps to supply aid to my great grandmother, whom I'm blessed to still have. She's 86 years old. My grandmother contracted COVID from my mom because she was asymptomatic. She beat it, 86 years old. Black sea oil is what we gave her. Yes. Um, and so, you know, that, that right there just lets you know, I will say this, you know, as black people, we are so reluctant. My grandmother didn't understand COVID. She, she didn't understand what was going on. She, she didn't understand the severity of it, how serious it was. Um, and so me trying to explain that to her is still like, no, but, but, but I just don't understand where did this come from? You know, and it's, you know, when you live 86 years, you're very reluctant to change, you know, life looks completely different. She's been able to endure so many things. So for me to be able to witness, you know, so many people having, this has been fatal for them, but my great grandmother, 86, was able to overcome it. My mom was able to overcome it. You know, her two friends that got it from her were able to overcome that. But one thing that I will say is that people are treating this like it's an STD. Like I got, yes. like what yes. is? Like they are so scared to talk about it. And I'm like, if you can help save someone else, if your experience can help save someone else, why would you be that selfish to not want to share it with someone else? Yeah. So that's what lost me <laughs> so what made your mom get checked though so I will say this um people were selfish enough my mom works in the beauty industry um and she started to lose taste and smell mm. but she thought that it was her allergies and that's what I mean by people just being selfish with, with the mask although um, I'll say this and then I'll get back to your question. Um, I feel more safe now in public because I've already fought the virus and yeah. there isn't a lot of research stating that you can have it again. So I feel safer in society where you're someone who has not had it or battled with it, you know, but I, even though I feel safer, I still have my mask on. I still mm -hmm. practice sanitizing. I still do my social distancing. I still stay in. I still don't go to restaurants that are extremely crowded. I dine out, you know, I do takeout. And so that, you know, that's just my thing when, you know, and then I, I work and people come up to say, I feel so bad that you guys have to wear masks. I mean, that's so, I can't believe that. And I'm like, you feel bad. All heroes don't wear capes. I feel, I feel honored to be able to put someone else's life ahead of mine, you know, mm -hmm. because I've already fought this. I could be one of those ignorant people to say, I'm not wearing a mask. You know, it is what it is. I've already been through it, but I can still pass it to someone who may not be as fortunate as I have been. And so I said all that to say, my mom contracted it from someone who very well knew that they were sick, but did not take it upon themselves to protect those around them. They still came and to this day will not admit that they were, you know, they didn't take yeah. the proper precautions to protect the ones around them. And so that's why I say it's, it, it's astonishing to me how selfish people are or, you know, how they don't want to talk about it or how they want to admit to it. And even if you're not one or courageous enough or brave enough to admit it, you can at least stay home. You yeah. know, you, yeah. you can at least stay, but stay to yourself those 14, 15 days, however, until you can pass the test and it's not negative. I mean, you can at least do your part, but there are so many selfish people out here that are putting their health before everyone else's. 
you know, or putting their wants or needs before everyone else's and not taking this serious enough. And that is why my mother fell victim to this. You know, I wouldn't go around my family until I was very well short, until I could pass a test to set negative. Whereas there are other people who just feel like, whatever, you know, I'm just going to be out here because I already have it and it is what it is. And you know what's so, crazy is that when they, when they first shut us down, I know like I was at home because I like I work in the healthcare field. So when it's, when we start seeing patients and it's like precaution, 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 I was like, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I even took it to the extent of changing right. in my, changing in my car, changing my shoes, like coming home, going straight to the shower because I live with my parents at this current moment. I'm not trying to get them sick, but it was just people right. like, well, I'm going to go to my family's house. And it's like, do you not understand? Although those are your family members, you still can make them sick. They still can contract that from you. It doesn't matter if they're family, friends, strangers. You can put somebody at risk. What do you not understand? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It, it, it's, I can't believe how selfish we are as people, you know, as humans, you know, and that is, is, that was one of the most hurtful things to me um, because I remember there was so much that happened during COVID. I know we're talking about, you know, COVID as a whole, but when I say that that was such a hard point in my life to get through I mean everything was just crazy you know like I was dating someone and then I wasn't dating someone and then you know having having thinking the world of that person and then for me to get sick and you not having the support mm -hmm. you know the person that you're dating I mean it was a lot honey and then for people to come around you know and then be scared and not know what was going on I mean it was it was just so much to take in and then I'll say this, after you test positive, well, it was for in March, um, you have to talk with a representative from the health department. And so after um, I FaceTimed with the nurse practitioner, once I was feeling better and she was like, you know, I'm really proud of you. There were people that are, weren't as sick as you and they weren't able to recover as fast yeah. as you've recovered. She said, you were one of the sickest people that I've seen. You were the first person to test positive that I've seen. And you have been able to recover faster than people that were nowhere near as sick as you were. And you cannot tell me that that wasn't due to... And, you can't tell me that that wasn't due to the black seed oil. You can't tell me that that wasn't due to just natural causes, me being able to fight it naturally. Mm -hmm. And then to eliminate, I know that you work in the healthcare and I would never take credit away from what you do, you know, because you are so essential. But when I say that I believe cross-contamination, I would have been sicker in the hospital than I was staying home. And that's oh, just definitely. what I think. Definitely. Yep. And so that, that was my, that was my biggest thing. I'm so glad I felt safer home because my mom said, you need to go to the hospital, Britt. You know, you sound like you can't breathe over the phone. You're scaring me. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to the hospital. I'm going to stay here. And if I feel like I can't make it out down 911, but I am not going to the hospital. I don't want to be around those things, I feel like I'm going to get sicker. And then I was thinking about, you know, the ventilation machines and people are in ICU. I heard they can ventilate more than one person at a time. That's cross-contamination mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And so, and so people don't want to talk about that, but mm -hmm. you know, I just, I just, I, I stayed home and I felt like that was the best decision that I made, but it was still super hard emotionally and mentally. And so, yeah. So what were you doing? I know that you were talking to your mother, but it, was there anything else that you were doing just to keep yourself or your mind at peace? Girl, calling on the Lord, girl, calling. <laughs> <laughs> say his name. No. <laughs> Let me say, um, I'm not a super um, 
religious person, but when I tell you that my mom taught me going through different things in life that you have to change your language. You have to affirm, you have to believe, you have to speak things into existence. And my mom told me, she said, you're not going to be defeated. You know, you, you need to say, you need to speak things as if you're healthy. You need to read this scripture. And she was just pouring into me so much. And so I remember laying laying in the bed one night and it was so hard for me to breathe this had to be like two or three o'clock in the morning and I was scared and I was like you know what God I feel like are you calling me home you know what's gonna happen I don't know if I'm gonna make it through the night and I just heard my mom telling me you have to affirm Brittany you need to change your language you need to speak things into existence and that's why I'm so big on manifesting now because that night in that moment I chose to live in that moment I said you know what I'm 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 gonna be all right like I don't feel well now but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to be okay because I'm going to speak that into existence. You know, I I know that fear is not going to get me up off of this bed, but what will get me up off the bed is believing that I will get better. And so that's what I did. I spoke that thing into existence and I spoke against it as if it were a person. You're not going to kill me. You're not going to kill me. I'm a big dog. I'll be fine. I'm going to make it through this. And that is what I did to give me mental clarity. It gave me peace you know, in, in that. And I, like I talked to my mother, we prayed daily, she prayed for me. And I can tell you that I feel like the prayers, you know, of my ancestors, the prayers of the people who love me is what saw me through that dark time. And I really didn't tell my friends until I was better. So the only person that really knew that I was bad off as bad off as I was, was my immediate family, like my mom, my dad, my sisters, but that's it. I didn't tell my best friend until I was through it, until I knew that I was going to be okay. So it was, you know, it was, it was that. It was just, it was the mental part. Your mind goes and then your body follows. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's where I was in that moment. I was going to be okay. There was no option. I was going to make it. And, that, and that's the decision that I came to. So that's what kept me, you know, that, that's what kept me. I will say that. And I'm glad that you had that insight to know that your body listens to whatever you say. Yes, yes. And people don't realize that, like, your thoughts are so powerful. It will change everything about you, whether it's spiritual, mental, or physical. It will change, and we have to be mindful of that. So I know that you said that you're still taking precautions, and you are working um, with your office, but are there Mm -hmm. any other concerns that you have about COVID um, right now? I am... I am really um, concerned for the way that the state is handling it, Um, especially from the aspect when we compare North Carolina to South Carolina, North Carolina was not playing. Okay. Mm -mm. North Carolina shut it down. They, they said, you know, our people were, they were in my mind, they were more, they were taking precautions, but I feel like South Carolina is being, um, they're being more reactive. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's what's aggravating to me. You know, requiring people to wear masks in establishments is just now a thing. That should have been a thing way before this. You know, and even with my, you know, my job, it's a require. It's now a requirement for people to wear masks. I feel like that should have been a requirement at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, it shouldn't just be a requirement now. And, and that's that's my biggest thing. And then, you know, when you go out into society, my experience is that there's still a large population that do not have masks on. <laughs> like there are still a huge number of people who are not taking this as serious. And I feel like when the numbers, and I'm just going to say it, 
um, I hate to, I don't, you know, I hate to sound like that girl, but I'm just going to say it. I feel like when the media portrayed that African-Americans or people of color were the ones getting the worst off from this, <laughs> I feel like that's when people stopped taking it as serious. You know, like everybody was scared at first. Like, I hate to cut you off, but what's so funny is when you work in it, you know the truth. Yes. And yes. I'm going to leave it at that. I will leave it at that. You know the truth. Yes. And that that's what gets to me. And I, I feel like people are not considering the numbers may say that, but we're also a large population of those who are uninsured, mm-hmm. you know, and, they, and there's, you know, there are so many things that people are not considering because the people are just ignorant. They aren't educated. And by educated, I don't mean degrees. Mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't taken the time to do the research to really mm-hmm. see what the numbers are, mm-hmm. but they're paying attention to the propaganda and the media and what they're putting out there. And so they're thinking, oh, black people are the only ones getting sick now. People of color are the only ones getting sick now. So I'm not even going to worry about my little mask. I'm not even going to take it serious because obviously this does not affect us. And just like everything else that shows that people of color are, are, you know, the oppressed Mm -hmm. in certain situations, then it's not as serious to everyone else. And then the numbers are inflated. And then then they're saying that, you know, it's just a lot of of stuff. People are are over-exaggerating things Mm -hmm. when it's not them being affected by it, or or so they think. So they (laughs) think. So So they think, think, yes. Because it's it's crazy that after every major holiday, we saw a spike. Right, absolutely. And it it, it just wasn't us. It was barely us. <laughs> barely. But yeah, know, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to, you know, admit to certain things happening. They don't, they don't think that they're the problem. And so that, that is a, a problem all in itself. But you know what? I think, honestly, I think everybody's going to get it. And now when my yeah. mom went through what she went through, they said to her that it's another strand out that's not as fatal as, as it was originally. And so this is, like I'm saying, healthcare, yeah. you know, don't have a, any you know they're not saying they have a cure for this but they can tell us that it's a new strand and you know all these new details but why what are we doing here how do we know this stuff and so they told her that she shouldn't get tested again um because the test is more than likely going to come back positive but but she shouldn't have it in her system i mean there's just so many things that we're being told that i'm just not going with i'm not rocking with that like, I just don't, I don't, I'm not one to believe those certain types of things, but this it's a new strand and it's not as fatal and people aren't getting as sick and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm still not going for it. I'm still not believing all of that. I just think that we all have to make sure that we are healthy. And I said this on social media, I think on my story on Instagram, and I'll say it again, black people are going to have to be strong financially, mentally, and physically to make mm-hmm. it through what our future is going to look like. And so that means me working out now after COVID, you know, I, I work out six times a week now. It's mandatory. Like I have to do that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've always been one to think ahead financially, but I'm taking it even more serious to make sure that even my sister at 20 years old, she runs her own business, you know, expressing to them the importance of saving money, the importance of credit, the importance of, you know, all of these things, because I really do feel like this is only a small part of what our future is going to look like. And if we're not prepared mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, I feel like that, that we're going to be put at an even bigger disadvantage, you know, and I think African-Americans now are taking their health more serious, you know, through April and May, I, I live in Malden and I have never seen that many black people on the street active, walking with their kids, playing outside. When the world were outside shut down, people were more physical. They were more active. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's so important. And, you know, since we're taking our health more seriously, we're starting to overcome 
you know, things, the stigmas, the negative stigmas around mental health as well. So I feel like African-Americans are at a very great place to make changes and break those generational curses that we've always had to endure as long as we are putting our health first mentally, physically, and emotionally and financially. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, you know, going forward, I hope that we continue to take it serious because it is. And, you know, we can we can make some changes around this time. We can. Um, and I think I, I think the same way that you you think, because I think 2020 was to teach us to slow down and reevaluate mm -hmm. some things in our life because we're always on the go. But now we right. have to sit with ourselves and do some deep reflection. Ooh, girl, you better talk to them people about how it is to face yourself now, because mm -hmm. that's what they don't want. It. People don't want it. They were so we are so caught off with distractions about being outside going out and have yep. dinner you know when you and, and Solange made that that seat at the table song was so important that album was so important for me especially Cranes in the Sky you know because oh, we yes. try to drink it away and yep. eat it away and sleep it away and we try to do all of these things but when outside shut down and mm -hmm. you had to quarantine and you had to face yourself every day and you had to sit in that pain where you couldn't go out and smoke it and drink it. You, mm -hmm. you had to sit in that pain. You had to face yourself. Then that's what caused people to really get it in order and to know, okay, I got to do something different. And I'm grateful for the time that, you know, it had, even though it was, it was negative, people thought that it was negative. It allowed us to face ourselves. And I'm very appreciative of that time. I feel like it did something that we really needed. Oh, certainly, because I'm I'm big on family, and I think we will never get this time back where we can mm -hmm. safely be with family or just talk on the phone and actually enjoy one one another. Because human reaction has been replaced with social media, yes, and yes. you look at kids now. Kids don't know how to communicate. Hell, adults don't even know how to communicate. So we have to get back to those soft skills. We have to go back to get back in nature and making sure that our melon is getting the vitamin D from the sun. We need That's all right. these things. That's right. That is so important. I was thinking about that. Would you say about the the natural vitamin? D because when I was sick I was sitting in my room with the blinds shut and my mom called me and she said you need to let some sunlight in there I'm like lady I don't want no sunlight in here I don't feel like doing all of that but you would be amazed at how you can get the energy naturally from yep. the sunlight mm -hmm. and how it made a difference in my mental health you know and I'm not going to say it made me go to from zero to 100 percent right off bat but I will say that it played a part in seeing that light and being able to uplift my spirits and mm -hmm. again where the mind goes the body follows and so when I was in a better mental state I felt like I started to regain my strength and that is that is so important girl you said that because when we had to face ourselves when outside shut down oh yeah that was listen i literally had <laughs> just came out of a depression before the world shut down like literally mm -hmm. and i just felt myself getting out of this hole and then it was just like okay everything is just in limbo and i was mm -hmm. just fighting so hard not to go back into that hole yes, but it, yes. it was just like you know if i have to be there i'll just have to sit there but i'll make it through yes because then you start to rely on what you know you know you need to meditate you mm -hmm. need to you know, center yourself. You need to work out and put your, your health first. You know, you need to seek God if that's, if that's your religion or you need to align yourself with the universe if, if that's more so your thing. Whatever it is, 
you needed to balance yourself. And we have put ourselves off so long because of the distractions. Yes, you know, even, even work, using work. And I tell people this, my direct reports, you know, I let them know all the time, you know, if you have a lot going on outside of work and you bring that into work, you can look to work as your vacation. Mm -hmm. That's the only time that you're not someone's wife. You're not someone's mother. You're not someone's cousin, sister, best friend. You are only there to do that job. And so your job can be a vacation from your real life. But when you take away even that distraction and you're not going to work and you're just sitting there all day, it forces you to deal with yourself. And I'm praying that people came out of this stronger because I can absolutely see where it would have heightened anxiety and depression, especially when you can't get to that therapist before they had these virtual ideas. You know, I just, I was praying, even going through my own things, I was praying for those who didn't have that distraction that really kept them in line. But for people who cannot take sitting down and facing themselves, I interceded on behalf of those people in my prayer life because I knew that it was difficult for me at one time. So you know, all of those things make a huge difference. So as you transition slowly to your 30s, what can you say that you learned the most with this year or throughout your 20s? I, whew, it's, that's so loaded. Um, <laughs> there, there's so much that I can say. <laughs> there's so much that I can say. But the one thing that's been super important for me is as a Southern woman, we feel like there are just things about us that we have to live up to. Or yeah. there, there are things that we just have to do. Like we have to get married before we're 30. We have to um, always be submissive to things. We can't speak our minds. We can't live in individuality. We have to choose the box that society has already placed us in, which eliminates choice altogether. You know, like I, I just feel like, you know, there was so much pressure on me to be different you know, or I wanted to, to be different. I wanted to make it, you know, I felt like I had to do these things. And for me, I've always been with my feet firmly planted on the ground because I felt like I had to, to provide, I had to take care of myself. And I, once I left my mom's house at 18 to go to USC State, I never went back. I always, you know, I felt like I just had to make it. And I really feel like that did a lot of negative things to my mental health. I'm feeling like I had to make it. I had to stand up. I had to be strong financially, even when I didn't know what that looked like. Um, It caused me to really not leave grace for myself. Like I did not have grace on myself to make mistakes. I felt like if I let someone down or if I asked for help, then I let everyone down. And then that's not what I was supposed to do. I was never supposed to ask for help. I was never supposed to be vulnerable. And you know, that a lot of that came from just generation. I come from Mm -hmm. a lot of very strong Strong women. women. And so, yeah. And feeling like I can't, you know, I remember even being in elementary school, my my friend would give me, if it may be something like a pencil or something, my mom would say, you need to go give that back. That's not yours. You need to take that back. And I was like, but someone gave it to me. And she's like, I don't care. That's not yours. You need to turn, you need to take it back to school. And so from there on, I never wanted to take anything from anyone. I wanted to be strong, but you have to find the beauty and vulnerability, the beauty in allowing yourself to feel what you feel. And vulnerability was something that I still to this point struggle with. I shy away from, I want to make sure that I can take care of me at all times. But that creates so much unnecessary, so I guess unnecessary turmoil to yourself internally, you know, when you don't know how to process those things, you know? And so I will, I will say you cannot go around the pain. There is no easy way. You have to feel through and allow yourself to be vulnerable to your emotions, allow yourself to honor, you know, honor how you feel in that moment. Because if you don't, then you're taking, you're taking grace away from yourself. Mm -hmm. And I believe that 
that people, the way people treat other people is a direct reflection of the way they treat themselves. If you're short tempered or you're nasty or you're always pointing out someone else's flaws, more than likely you treat yourself that same way. And I feel like when I, when I put myself in a, at my best and when I treat myself my best, then I'm giving that same love and energy to everyone outside of my own existence. I, I mean, that's the thing that I've learned in my 20s. Girl, it's okay. You don't have to have it all together. Like you don't have to, you know, I was investing in the stock market at 23. I had bought my first house at 25. That was so much freaking pressure, girl. If I could take all that back, I would have saved as much money as I could have and maybe bought a business. But there was no reason for me to have a house with no children, no anything, a four bedroom. For what? What was, what was I under that much pressure for? That made no sense. And so I think when we compare ourselves, that's why I'm a firm believer in taking your breaks from social media. I'll pop off social media for a good 12 months, girl, with no, like I, I will go, I will let it go. And I think that's because when we, we always see that stuff, we're comparing, you know, our behind the scenes to someone's highlighted reels. People are not posting the negative things. They're only posting what looks good in that moment. And so we mm-hmm. think that our lives must always line up to that. And that is such a detrimental place to be in. That is so negative because, then you start to think, oh my God, if I don't look like that, then I'm not successful. Or if I'm not, if I look like that, I'm not beautiful. And those are just things that just aren't real. It's not real. It's, it's not real. So everything that you do is already set in the precedent for who you are. You don't have to live up to any of the societal standards that people place on you. And I read a book called The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Na- Narrative of Black Women in America. It's by Tamara Winfrey Harris. And she spoke so deeply about how saying that we're, you know, you're a strong Black woman really took away a Black woman's I guess her comfort in vulnerability, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, when we felt weak or when we felt sick, instead of people honoring that moment or allowing us to feel that way or letting us know it was okay to feel that way, instead we were told, you'll be all right, you're a strong mm-hmm. black woman. Mm-hmm. Whereas when our counterparts, you know, women that were non African American or non people of color, you know, when they cry, everyone runs to them and tries to fix the issue. Yep. Whereas they expect for a black woman to be okay. So we don't get to feel in uh-huh. that moment, we don't get to be weak. We don't get to feel that. And so when we do feel it, we identify with it as if there's something wrong with it. Yep. And then we have our own, and, and the black woman is so underprotected. Yes. You know, and I feel like being black, a black woman is a double minority. And so not only am I having to deal with the fact that I'm black in society and having to fight for that, I'm also having to fight against the fact that I'm female in this society. And I'm also having to fight against the fact that all other women in their own cultures are cultures are protected but the black woman is the one that is is you know first of all we're being blamed for the broken family we've always been blamed for that number one and then number two we're you know we're being blamed for being too strong and then we're being blamed for not being strong enough it's like what do you want from us and so i think now black women i think if i'm not mistaken don't quote me on this i'm pretty sure that we are the population that has the most um small businesses yep and And most degrees as well and so now i feel like we're stepping into that you know what i'm sick of it i'm not i'm not gonna let you keep putting this on me i'm just going to be because i came out of the womb magic if if i did nothing else if i didn't buy a house if i didn't own a small business if i didn't do anything else i came out superior i am me i and that's okay I don't have to live up to what you want me to be or what you want me to do. I was powerful beyond measure just being born in this. And so that alone, you know, but above all of that, I don't have to be any of that when they put on me. I can just be me. 
Yep. And that's okay. It is. Yeah, it is definitely okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is okay. And I, I mean, I love, I love talking to other women who can identify with that. People who, who have grown comfortable in that because you would, you can only imagine the amount of women who still struggle to feel like they have to do this and be this by this age. And if not, then they're failures. And I believe that you are what you take in. You are mm-hmm. what you listen to. You are what you feel. You are who you allow to enter your body. If we want to be grown mm-hmm. about it. Yes. All of those things transfer. So last question when you hear surviving 20s what does that mean to you i will say that 20 when i think about surviving my 20s i think about specifically 25 there was something about the age of 25 that almost killed me okay like I, <laughs> 25 was one of the most difficult years for me and it was because i didn't i thought i needed permission to be a certain way mm. i thought that i had it to constantly um make people believe who I was like you know I know that I'm this but I need to do everything that I can to prove myself to you because you obviously don't know that I'm you know like I felt that I needed to prove so much to people and if they didn't believe me then I felt invalidated so being so seeking that validation I, and and that again, that's the age that I bought my house. Like that, that was the age that I felt like I had it to do so much to prove to people that number one, I wasn't what you know. I wasn't. You're not gonna look down on me. I'm not that person. You're not gonna pity me. I, I can make this happen on my own. I don't need you, but I have to show you that I can make it on my own. I have to show you that I'm powerful beyond measure. I have to show you that I'm not this weak thing you think that I am, girl. That was so much pressure. Yeah, that was so much pressure. So letting go of like you have to keep up and even now I see these people post about you know trying to keep up with the social life and trying to keep up with this this is so hard as a woman and I'm like why do you feel like you have to keep up with the social life I don't right. feel like I have to keep up with any of that I feel like if I need a break I need a break and if I feel like doing it it will be done if I don't feel like doing it then dear a social life is not something I'm going to stress about having that that's the very last thing that I feel I feel like it's healthy you know if, if it puts you at a good mental place but when I was 25 and, and older than that, or excuse me, younger than that, I really felt like I had to keep up all of those things to prove myself, to be this person, to find this validation. And for what? Only for me to get to the age of 29 and feel like I wasted years of that when I could have just blossomed, you know, or dug deeper. Because what I was seeking was in me the entire time. Mm-hmm. It was in me. It was in me. And so that, that surviving my 20s, was was that seeking validation for people who never mattered led, led me to places that could have cost me my life i can honestly say that it led me to, to be around people who didn't mean me any good you know it led me to pay other people's bills when i couldn't pay my own as a struggling college student like there were so many things that i felt like i had to be 